0: Welcome to World's Wonders, a podcast by the Winding Rivers Library System, where we host lively and informative conversations about topics of interest to libraries in western Wisconsin and the world. And now, our next World's Wonders.
1: Hello and welcome to the Winding Rivers Library System podcast. I'm Kristen Anderson, the director of the Winding
2: Rivers Library System. And I'm Brooke Newberry, the collaborative consultant. And today, we have the pleasure of talking to Linda Jerome, who is the teen services librarian at La Crosse Public Library in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So Linda, we would love if you could tell us a little bit about your library.
0: Uh, Lacrosse Public Library um, has been around since 1888. Um, I haven't worked there that whole time. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have worked there for about 28 years, um, and about 20 of those years have been working with teens. And so, Lacrosse is a city of about 51,000. Um, we have two other branches besides the main library. Um, we have about 74 staff, and in my department, Youth Services, we have seven people. Seven. Excellent. kind of what you're interested in. That's great. I could go on
1: and on, but I <laughs> that think is, that's enough. That is great. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be in this very interesting youth, young adult <laughs> services position you're in?
0: Uh, it was very organic. As I said, I've worked at the library for 20 years, and I've had many positions in that time. And um, when I w- ended up in youth services, it wasn't. I didn't start there as the teen services librarian. There wasn't a teen services librarian at the time. We had a teen space, and we did some programming for teens, but it was. Um, it wasn't a real focused. It wasn't. There wasn't a one person who was kind of solely dedicated to that. It was kind of one of those responsibilities that kind of handed around the department. And so, um, my undergraduate is in education. I w- always knew I wanted to work with teens. I have. Uh, teaching degree in 612. So I always knew I loved this age group. And I had fallen in love with teen literature in that time. And so as things progressed, and we decided that we wanted to do more um, for teenagers in this area. And it just kind of naturally, my skills, I was interested, they didn't scare me, I was, (laughs) you know, they were I like teenagers um, and so it, it just kind of organically happened and so slowly as I things happened I got more and more of my time was spent working with teens and collections and all those kinds of things until eventually that was a good chunk of my job. Mm-hmm. It's still, even if it turns teen services librarian, it's not like I don't ever do anything but teens. I still work the children's room desk, I help out at big programs. Um, help with tours, things like that. So I would say like 75% of my job is teen services and 25% is still youth services related
2: in some way. Um, I would love to know, what has been the most surprising thing you've learned in working with teens? Uh,
0: um, I think because I knew a lot about teens before I kind of formally started working with them and I knew that I'd gone through all of those kinds of things. But I think one of the things that um, fascinated me when I learned more about it was adolescent brain development. <clears throat> which might seem like an odd answer, but um, work, stay with me for a second. So it's – when I when – because I for a long, long time, and this was even what I was taught in college, is that we figured by the time they're teenagers, your brains are done, right? You're pretty much grown. Your brain is finished. You have an adult brain, right? But then you see all these behaviors that teens are doing, and you're going, well, why? And then, frust- you know, adults get frustrated. I don't understand. If their brains are done, why are they acting the way they're acting? Well, of course, then they went back and they're like, Oh, you know what? Guess what? Their brains are not done. In fact, brains don't finish growing. For women, it's like twenty-one, and for men it's like twenty-five, which makes a lot not of surprising. sense. Not surprising. <laughs> no, college makes a lot more sense now. Um and so when I and so I started diving into this and I'm like, what? And so when your brain is developing, the last thing that kind of gets connected is the prefrontal and the frontal cortex. Right? Well, guess where you being able to manage and mitigate risky behaviors happens. Guess what part of your brain? Prefrontal cortex, mm. right? And so when we're seeing teens being like, you're not this dumb. Like, why, why did you do that? Kids, you're like, they have a good head on their shoulders, and yet you see them doing the stupidest things. And you're like, why is that happening? And you're like, well, listen, you know, the, the two parts aren't connected quite yet because it's the last thing that gets those two things get connected. And so... Um, one of the things I remember at a presentation about teen brain development, somebody said, "They said, as a teenager, you were both the smartest and the dumbest you will ever be. <laughs> you're the smartest because your brain is so elastic, because you're growing so many new synapses in this point of your life, that you you can learn better, your memory's more efficient. You're like like you're never going to be smarter than you are when you're a teenager, like intellectually, because your brain is just this wonderful thing that's happening." And yet, because of the prefrontal cortex thing, you're also the dumbest because you're you're making these horrible decisions because you don't have any way to kind of go, oh, you know what? Maybe I should think about this because there might be consequences that I don't enjoy later. on the point. And so that's the kinds of thing that I remember when I'm working with teens a lot is that I'm trying to remember that they're both the smartest people, which I can totally see. Right? Some of these kids are so brilliant, and then you see them also. Then you're going, what are they doing? And then they're also the dumbest people mm-hmm. So for those two things. So it's kind of that. And that, I think, sums up teens in a lot of ways, is that there are these two um, opposite things that are happening at the same exact time, and they're trying to manage life that way. Mm-hmm. And there's no other stage in your life that that happens. Mm-hmm. And so there's this really unique, so interesting and cool and awesome to kind of watch them and help them, support them in that those moments when they're trying to navigate being the dumbest and the smartest Mm -hmm. at the exact same
1: time i remember an example a number of years ago from a presentation i attended with it was a a mother of a young adult Mm -hmm. um who had talked about her her child had been um competing for a very prestigious scholarship and had um in the middle of this competition had stood in the middle of a school cafeteria and chugged a can of beer on top of a table (laughs) and which um would have put a put his entire yes. future at risk. And yes. she said it took her a long time to figure out why would he have taken that yes. risk. And it was such, a, I still remember that story, mm-hmm. even though I heard it
0: probably yeah. 10 I mean, or 15 obviously years a smart ago. Kid, right? right? I clearly, mean, right. Clearly intelligent child. Right. And
1: yet. Made a really bad yeah. decision, but wasn't caught luckily. So until we shared it in our podcast. <laughs> Bust it
2: now, friend. I remember even oh. listening to uh, Michelle Obama talk about how her girls couldn't figure out how she knew everything that was happening in their lives. Uh-huh. And she's like, and of course, they had Secret Service people with them constantly. <laughs> she's like, but they would be like, how did you know? She's like, because they're dumb. She's like, they're so smart and so intelligent, yes. but they couldn't figure out how I always knew what was happening yes. in their lives. So I mean, do you
0: see? these Now you guys are both having these moments. Yeah, like, we are. yeah. Oh, get it now. Yes. Um, so that for me was a that. And that's something I like to share with people too, that like, this is what they're dealing with friends. Like they're dealing with these two opposing forces right. happening at the same time. And then you throw in hormones on top of that. Oh. And so then we have teenage land. So
1: glad you're in their break, corner. Linda. They're going through a lot. <laughs> yeah. All right, Linda, can you tell us a little bit about your service philosophy to this age group?
0: Well, I don't think it's any different than any library service mission, right? I don't think that, and I think it shouldn't be considered special or unique or different. If you're serving kids and you're serving adults and you should be serving teens, like I don't, it should just be, duh, like, of course you're going to serve teens. And yet, and I think this is somewhat in the last, in the recent years, that's not always been a given for a lot of public libraries is that it's kind of like, oh, well, if we have time and money and, and space, we might give them, a collection, a place to sit, and we might throw some programs at them. But we're really just going to focus on if we can get – got to get children and adults taken care of first because, you know, oh, they're difficult and they're hard and they talk back and they they smell maybe and, you know, all those things that I hear about why teens are horrible things that you shouldn't have in your building. Um, So as far as I'm concerned, if you're serving human beings – Teens need to be part of that conversation. Period. End of discussion. If you're serving children and you're serving adults, then you got to serve teens. You, you have no excuses at all, as far as I'm concerned. Um, <clears throat> so they should have. All everyone should have a space for teens. You should. Everyone should have collections for teens. Everyone should have programming names at teens. You should policies that provide equity of service to teens, which is very different from equality a, a of service. Right. I think a lot of libraries get hung up in. Oh, everyone has equal chance that everyone has an equal chance of getting a library card, right? Which is true, right? Everyone can walk in the door and, in, in theory, get a library card, except guess who's often at a library without a parent, right? And because state law, I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have parents sign off on their library cards. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying guess who's often at a library without a parent? Teens, right? And yet we still require the and signature, rightly so but is that equal? Do they have an equal shot of getting a library card? No, they do not. So do then, therefore, do they have equal access to the collections in your building? As far as I'm concerned, no, they don't. So how are you going to make it equitable for them? How are you going to frame your policies and services so that those kids whose parents are you're never going to see You're never, ever, ever going to see. This kid's going to graduate from high school, and you're never going to lay eyes on a parent. Um, How are we going to provide a way for them to get a card? Because they can be there in the library without a parent, but they can't ever get a library card without one. So how do we manage those two things? So that's what I mean about equity of service versus equality of service. And so having to make sure that you're paying attention to those things in your building, in your library, and thinking about oh yeah, wait a second, we need to find ways to make this happen. Sure.
1: Can you think of one easy thing, or maybe not even easy thing, what's the top thing you think every library should be doing to try to equalize that access, Linda?
0: Well, I think it just, honestly, it just really starts, I mean, if you want kids to come to the library, you've got to be able to give them an opportunity to check out all the cool stuff you have there. I mean, it's like coming to the candy store and saying, no money, ha-ha, you get to look. You can touch some of this stuff even. And, of course, you can, you can sit down and read right in the building, which I'm always like, yeah, they could. But I don't know. Do you like to sit and read, you know, in front? I mean, I guess this feel like that's just a pat on the head to say, mm-hmm. oh, just don't talk to me about this. Well, <laughs> oh, they can sit and read. They have equal access. Yeah, maybe. But they can't walk out the door like everyone else can. And so I think honestly, starting with the library card and figuring out how you you want kids in your building, you have to figure out a way for they can they can walk out your door with stuff, mm-hmm. because the whole point of having them there, right,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is to check stuff out, right? That's circ numbers drive the engine a lot of times in libraries.
1: What kind of adjustments has your library made to accommodate um, this age group and make sure that they get Right, so one cards. of the things that
0: we changed, because a lot of times we have teachers who bring kids to, st- to our library, and they want their kids to have cards. So what we've discovered is that if a teacher sends home a form, parents are going to sign it, because all they have to do is sign the thing, fill it out, sign the thing, which they've done a million times by this point, and they'll turn it back to the teacher, and that's all the effort they have to apply. That's it. That's all the effort they have to do. Teachers give us the application forms. We put it in the, we put it in, we give them a card, and now this kid has a card, and we don't ever have to see the parent. right? And so that's what we found, because most of these kids would never they'd walk in the door and we'd be like, sorry. And then the other way that we've done is that we have adjusted some of our policies of the circulation aspect in that if a kid walks in and can tell us who they are, you know, the quiz, we call it the big fat quiz, they can tell us who they are, what their birth date is, where their address, what their phone number is, what their parent's name is, and that matches everything in our system, then ta-da, you get to check out stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You don't have to bring a parent in to do this. We believe you, that you're 13 and you know where you live and, you know, like you can answer all of these questions. Um, and they match everything we have in our system, then ta-da, we're good. Great. We're set to go. So we've made some adjustments so that kids aren't feeling like we're inviting them to the party, but they don't get to play. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's made a huge difference because there are kids who would never have been able to check out stuff that now we see kids checking out all kinds of things all the time. And then the other thing I think that we – the big thing for us was the f- we got rid of fines.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At our, <clears throat> excuse me, at our library. Um, we because that was a huge barrier when ninety times seven times when I talked to kids, it was, "Oh, I can't have fines, I can't have fines, and so now that was gone, mm-hmm. and if you bring stuff back late, no big deal, like we don't want it back, but just bring it back, and we're good, like we'll be friends again, just bring our stuff back, and we'll be friends again, um and that has become really. I think, a huge weight off of their shoulders and off their parents' shoulders. The parents aren't freaking out if their stuff is overdue, and now you're going to cost me hundreds of dollars because you never brought that stuff back, and la, la, la. So those are two barriers that we have eliminated at our building to help students, middle and high school kids, who aren't going to be with a parent and are under 16 and can't sign for their own card, get access to our materials.
2: Um, I'd love to know, what is your favorite type of programming to do with the Sage Group?
0: Anything that shows off their creativity, anything that I can say to them, and this is honestly one of the things I do a lot with teens, is I say, here's the thing we're going to make. Here's how you do it, just real general, go. And that's the beauty, I think, of working with teenagers. I don't have to help them. I don't have to help them tape. I don't have to help them glue or cut or any of those things. I just say, here's what we're doing. Go do it. And they go, okay. Like, for example, duct tape. One of my all-time, always, am I going to do a duct tape program so the day I die? (laughs) Um, You give them rolls of duct tape, and you say, make something. And they go, okay. And they just take the duct tape and start making stuff. Like, they don't, they just go. And I'm always just like, oh, how did you think of that? I don't know how you came up with that. Like, you looked at a roll of duct tape and say, sure. I'm going to make a can koozie out of that. And I would have been like, oh, okay. Like, I would have had, like, this big old ball of stuck together duct tape if I tried to do that (laughs) and yet these kids can sit down and just kind of go well okay I'm going to think about this for a minute and then I'm going to make it so I love programs that teens can just kind of you can just say here's all this stuff go go make something beautiful and they always do and they always impress the heck out of me every time because I'm just amazed by how that they can just take like I said take a roll of duct tape and turn it into something awesome and or usable
1: great so, Linda, with all of your, your experience serving this age group, what would you say to someone who tells you they're having a hard time attracting teens to their library?
0: I would say I feel you. I understand that very, very well. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, I think my first thing would be there probably are some teens that are showing up in your building. It might not be the kind the number that you want, right? Um, but I always say if you don't know, ask them. Like they're, they have opinions now. And they can verbalize those to you. Uh, so I would—I always start with the teens. That's what—that would be my thing. It's like start with the ones, that, like that even if it's just like one or two that actually show up in your door, be like, "Why? If you, you know, like, talk to me about this. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm not going to take it personal. Just tell me the truth. Why? Why do you come, and why do you think your peers don't? And just start that conversation and be like, "Well, either maybe they don't know about it." They forgot. They haven't been to a library since they were six, and now they're 15, and they just it doesn't occur to them that that's a place that they can go, and or they don't know what you guys have here. They don't understand that there's a space and a collection and programming and all of those kinds of things. So I always say, if you don't, if you're not getting kids in the door, ask them why, and be ready for them to be honest. Again, don't take it personal. It's not a personal attack against you. Right? They're they're just trying to tell you. Well, here's why I don't think it's worth my time. Mm-hmm. So then you have to take that information and then do be prepared to do something with it. You just can't go well. Silly teenagers. They don't know any better. Um, and then the next thing I would say is keep trying. Perseverance is a thing that you have to have if you're going to work with teens. You just have to. It's just you're not. It's not going to be like children stuff. Well, people will show up to a story time to the day we die. Like story times are always going to be something that you can generally have people show up to right because there's always going to be new families new parents new kids that are going to want to come and listen to people read stories to them it's not necessarily true with teen services and so you have to be you have to be willing to persevere you have to be willing to um, take some failures and learn from them and then you can't again can't take it personal you can't take which is so
1: to do
0: (laughs) so so hard to do because you think well they obviously hate me and my all I I have no (laughs) idea what I'm doing and teens don't care and 90% of the time it's not even that it's about a million other things that has nothing to do with the library at all and so you just have to kind of get a thicker skin and go okay well that didn't work what am I going to try next And then hopefully the people, your administration, your library director, your boss, your manager, whomever, is going to give you the time and the space to do that. Because it's not going to be, oh, we have three story times. We, of course, had 50 people each. Ta-da! You services, right? Uh, I think it's going to be a slow – it's usually, for me, it has been a much slower progress. It's going to be small victories, small victories, small victories. And then a few setbacks, and so it's going to have that perseverance. You're just going to have to keep trying. They're out there. They will come. Talk to them. Listen to them. Ask them what they need from you. What do you guys need? Do you need a space to hang out? Do you need, are you hungry? Do you need snacks after school? What, are you, what, what, what can we do to help you? What can we do? What can we provide for you? What do you guys need? Um, and so that's, for me, is kind of what I always go back to. You've got to talk to them. You have to ask them. And even if you don't have, if you legitimately don't have teens showing up in your door, then you need to go to them. Talk to your school librarian friends and say, hey, do you have a bunch of kids that maybe that I could like sit down with like a little focus group, right? Can I have like five kids that I can sit down with and talk to them about libraries and ask them some questions about what that is and what they don't, why don't they come? Maybe it's just a lack of knowledge. Maybe it's a lack of time. Maybe it's a lack of um, they can't get a library card. You know, all those things, like whatever it is, talk to them and ask them because that's going to inform your work much more than, well, honestly, listening to me in a podcast or a, a webinar or going to a program about programs or whatever. Like you got to talk to your kids and find out what they need from you. Mm-hmm.
1: Back in the dark ages when I worked in young adult services, um, <laughs> we found that um, offering food was a big incentive as yes, well. So when you talked is. about your focus group, yeah. it occurred to me that that was something we would always use to try to get people in for those types of events. And is that that's still the case? Kids then? are hungry <laughs> all the time, especially teenagers.
0: Um, and not just boys. Girls can put it away, too. So don't think, oh, well, it's just for teenage boys. No, no, no. Our, girls are hungry, too. Uh, so, yes. No, I almost always feed Teenagers, and almost everything I do with them, I feed them in some way, shape, or form. No matter the time of day, they're almost like, Yeah, no, I'm good. I can eat that. Yeah, sure. No problem. 10 a.m. pizza? Sure. I can, that, I can handle that. No big deal.
2: Um, do you remember any program that you were really excited about that just did not resonate with your audience? Or maybe you didn't get the turnout you expected? And kind of what did you learn from that? Or how did you go forward? All well, that
0: happens pretty much all the time. Uh, no, this, uh, and I always say this. I've had several programs that have worked, right? But then keep also in mind when I say that there is just as many that have not worked, that have been complete failures and like just like nothing crickets. And so it is, even though I've been doing this a long time, it's not like I'm hitting it out of the park every single program. I'm not because I'm still experimenting. I'm still trying to kind of see what else is out there. Kids change, their interest changes, and so I have to kind of stay with that and go, okay, what's going to work now? Like, that worked six years ago, but I don't know if it's going to work now. Maybe these kids don't want that. Maybe they're not interested in that. Maybe they've that's not a cool thing anymore. So I'm always trying new stuff because I'm trying to keep up with who these kids are now and what their interests are. And so, yes, I absolutely <laughs> At programs that I've been like, this is going to be so cool, you guys. I can't even stand it. And then I'm, like, sitting there with, like, one poor, sad child <laughs> we're, like, staring at each other going, man, I thought this was a really good idea. Um, and so I think a couple of things that I always learn from those things. Um, I, you know, and this is also that whole thing, Can I try not to take it personally, right? Um, sometimes it, it is the program. Sometimes the program it was a bad idea. It was just not, like, it was never going to be a good thing. But sometimes it's when the program is scheduled. I've done programs and during the school year, I've had two kids show up to do the exact same program in the summer, 30. So that to me tells me it's not the program. It was when I did did it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about they didn't want to come, it's that they couldn't come. Uh, So sometimes it's, it's the timing. Sometimes it's when I scheduled it. And sometimes it's The lack of publicity. Kids are like, oh man, I would have come to that. I didn't know that was happening. I didn't know when did you do that. And they're like, well, shoot, I would have, you know, I had no idea that that was going on. So you have to kind of, as in those, whenever those things fail, you have to kind of decide, okay, what is it? Is it, is it the program? Is it the timing? Is it the publicity? Is it all three of those things? Like maybe none of these things were going to ever work. Um, And then you just try and backtrack and go, okay, well, I still think this is a good program, so I'm going to save it for a time when I think it's more kids might come more often. So uh, trying to kind of play with it a bit, if you believe in it as a program, then try it a couple different ways and see what happens. Um, and sometimes it is just, it's just, it's just kids are busy, mm-hmm. you know, and so those are kinds of things. And so I'm always trying to figure out, what is it? Is it a time thing? Is it a nobody knew about it thing? Or is it the program itself? And so you just kind of evaluate that and debrief that.
1: Cindy, you'd mentioned publicity um, mm. in that answer. Um, I'm curious about, you'd mentioned both kind of a soft pedal publicity you do for some mm-hmm. events, and then you go guns blazing for others. Can you tell us about those two different <laughs> kinds of publicity? Well, you know, the
0: soft pedal, I guess I assume is just kind of like the usual, you know, like we put posters up, it shows up on our social media, it's in our newsletter. I mean, those are the kinds of things just like every program gets. Mm-hmm. That's to me, is like soft pedal. When I kind of go guns blazing is when, um, like, for example, I'll Often, if you're a member of my teen advisory council, you part of your job is to help me promote teen programs to your peers. And so, often at teen advisory councils, I will show up with a stack of postcards that has the program information on it. I tell kids to take 10, 15 of them, and I say you need to pass these out at your school to your friends, lockers, put it in people's lockers. You don't know, I don't care. Like, don't get in trouble, but <laughs> you know, don't offend somebody. But start passing these out at school. So that Don't kids can break into cars their, and put them because in. Because it's one thing for me to say to kids, "This is a really cool program; you should come." That has some little, a very tiny bit of weight. If another peer-to-peer says, "Hey, there's this cool thing; I think you, you you should come," that's a whole different that's a whole different ball game. So their job, part of their job, is to be my part of my PR team, right? But I can't ask them to do it with every single thing that we do, because again, that just kind of. It waters, it money, they just kind of, every gets they get fatigued about it. Sure. They get less excited. Their friends get less excited. Oh, okay, here's another postcard again. Uh, so I try and save those for, like, programs that I'm really, like, either I put up some money into it and I need to have some people show up to this because I would like to make sure that this money was used wisely um, or at programs that I'm like super excited about I don't think teens would love it they just need to know about it so I need to make sure so I kind of you kind of have to pick and choose at least I do pick and choose those programs that you feel like okay and then the other thing that I do oftentimes is because I know a lot of teachers and school librarians and I'll e- often email them with the poster and say hey would you mind putting this up in your classroom we have this great program coming up for kids and 99% of the time they're like awesome this looks amazing yes I definitely will put it up in my classroom. I might even talk about it at the beginning of class tomorrow. Be like, oh, you're my new best friend. I love you. But again, I can't do that to them every single month with a new program. So I try and be picky and say, like, hey, look at this thing, so that they only feel like it's maybe a couple of times in a school year that I'm asking them to do that for me. And so that way it just kind of keeps us in their mind, but then it also it helps kind of their kids are hearing about it like six different ways. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I do when I say, like, guns a-blazing kind of a thing.
1: Sure, sure. You'd also mentioned your teen advisory council. Can you tell us a little I love and adore about that? Them. Yeah,
0: I love and adore them. Uh, I've had, and this was a, a, a revelation that I had not realized was true. But I have been doing a teen advisory council for twenty years because one of my original TAC members was in town, and uh, I asked her. I said, "When did we start this?" And she's like, "1998." And I'm like, "No, I'm sorry, that can't be true." And she said, "No, no, no, <laughs> that's true." And I said, oh my dear God, I'm old. And then I said, okay, well, then, okay, 20 years of TAC. Um, and so it has been, it has been, my teen advisory council is one of the, my favorite things about being a teen librarian. Honestly, they are a great group of kids. It changes every year, so it's always kind of new people come in, people graduate. You're kind of sometimes they're super excited and and things, and other times they're like, well, we just you know they're much calmer. It just depends upon the, the you know the attitudes and the personalities of the kids that are in there. Um, and then there's kids, you know. There's, sometimes there's a whole group of like six or eight of them that are just great friends, and they just this—they're with you for like six years, through middle school and high school, and you get to know them super well. It's like friends leaving you at the end, um, and then there's other groups, and you're, you you know—you're like, well. I like them all, but I, we don't there isn't that connection that you sometimes feel with, with teens. And, but they've always been amazing because they're always super honest with me, and they help so much in terms of me making sure that I'm being true to what they need and what they want and what they're interested in. Um, because I think you can, you can get really kind of in your own head and in your own box, oh, this is amazing, this is fantastic, this is wonderful, but never actually talk to the people that you're wanting to do all this stuff for right does this make sense to you as a teenager and here's why it makes sense to me and sometimes that's a conversation that we have and say well here's why we do it the way we do it and then they go oh that makes sense but other times they're like that's dumb you need to do it this way and you're like you're right we probably do need to do it this way so they are invaluable to me in my work
1: so you mentioned, Linda, that you um, got some programming ideas from your tech group. Oh, yeah. Where else do you go when you need inspiration for programming or collection development? Um, what are other resources that you go to?
0: One of the favorite things in the world for programming, God bless Pinterest, because that has saved my us more times than I can say, and um, I do have a page that you can to. Don't ask me; I have no idea what my thing is. I will look it up and send it to you later if you want. Um, but I—that's where I mean. Most of the time, like I'm like, I need a crafty kind of thing. We need to do a crafty kind of program. Pinterest, uh, and so that's where I go for a lot of my programming stuff. Um, in terms of, and of course, t- my teen advisory council has also. We every spring we sit down and we go, okay, we have, let's do a program. Tech kind of sponsors a program every spring. Um, where they either come up with the idea, or if they don't come up with the idea, then they help me with it. So, for example, this spring we're doing a, which we did, it was their program last year too, so it's not so much of a stretch, but um, we did, last summer, we last spring we did um, fandom trivia, teen trivia, and so they loved it so much that we're now going to do superheroes teen trivia. So they're helping me write questions, they're helping me figure out how we're going to score stuff, they come to the program itself and act as scorers, so that way... Stuff is being scored as I'm emceeing the the event. Um, so they are crucial to that success. And so they really, again, take ownership of that program. They understand what it takes to run a program. I kind of walk them through what my thought processes are, like here's the lo- logistical things that we need to think about. How are we going to handle those? And so th- it's really a collaboration between myself and that group, and that, uh, they come to that program and help me with it and or uh, Sometimes just it's their brainchild, and then I just do some of the heavy lifting. But they're really the ones that are the engine of that program. And then a lot of times it's just me sitting in my office. It looks like I'm staring off into space, but I'm actually working. It's me just kind of going, what would be fun? Like, what, what, what haven't we done lately? What would be interesting? What would be cool? What would be f-? that kind of thing? So, though, I mean, it's nothing, you know, it's your typical stuff paying attention to what kids are doing, reading, listening to, all that kind of thing. And just, not that I'm trying to be a teenager, but I do have to know, like, what... I do have to kind of be aware of what's what's the meme going around right now. Like, what are they laughing about? What are they... What's the word that everyone's saying right now? Not that I need to say it, but I need to be aware of what's kind of, like, in that teen culture, what people are excited about right now. And then how can I... Either support that through materials or through programming, or something like that. So those are the kinds of things. I always want to say it's eavesdropping. I don't. I mean, it feels that feels creepy as an adult (laughs) um, to say that. But I feel like it's also I have to be paying attention. I have to be dialed in in some way, shape, or form to what their what's on their radar, Mm -hmm. so that I can make sure we can make it put it on our radar too.
1: You're knowing your population. Exactly. So you're studying and you're observing your population so you can best Yeah, but not in a creepy way. Not in a creepy way at all, (laughs) Linda. We can vouch for you. Thank you. We had such an amazing conversation with the previous guest, we couldn't stop at 30 minutes. So this conversation will continue into the next episode. To listen to the rest and
0: to find supporting information and links to other episodes, go to www.wrlsweb.org. Slash /podcast Thank you for listening to World's Wonders, a podcast of the Winding Rivers Library System.